What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Newt News Podcast. Uh, we're super excited to be joined today by Josh Jacobs. He writes over at Redbird Rants. We really appreciate his work. Uh, he puts forth a lot of great stuff. So go give him a read whenever you've got some free time. Uh, he's always producing some great content, and we're super excited to have him on today. So I guess the first thing we want to start with is we want to sort of note that the Cardinals have been playing some really good baseball lately. I believe they've won six of their last eight, which is really nice to see. Uh, this is exactly the type of thing a lot of us wanted to see from the team. The offense looks a little bit more consistent. The pitching has been better. Um, but I guess I just wanted to ask you guys right away, is there anything you see that looks different? And should this be some source of hope moving forward? Hmm. Yeah, um, I would say it's a little bit of, from an outside looking in perspective, it feels kind of just... This team has encouraging signs in the offense, mm -hmm. and it actually hasn't been performing this much as this much or that much this month as much as much as you would want it to. The pitching has mm -hmm. kind of come on recently. You've gotten some good outings from yeah. Jordan Montgomery. The bullpen's kind of held itself down. So, in my opinion, the team just kind of looks like it's how it's supposed to look. Yeah, um, it's it's what my expectations were coming into the season as a runaway favorite of the National League Central. Um, I don't think they've really made um, any extreme changes. I mean, obviously, you look at the lineup each day. The only real change yeah. is Jordan Walker is getting more opportunities toward the top. You've mm -hmm. got the readdition of uh, Lars Newtbar, which has been huge for them. Yeah. Um, but overall, it just kind of seems like guys are finally their groove a little bit. You can kind of tell they are a little bit looser. If you look at Ollie Marmol in the dugout, um, even post game, you look at the players, they seem to be having a little bit more fun. They seem to be not as nervous in the field. Um, I would say the last few games, they've made some really dumb errors. So I can't necessarily mm -hmm. say that. But for the most part, they've been playing clean baseball. So mm -hmm. I think it's just they're playing to their talent level now. They've been playing so below it all season. It hasn't made sense. Um, but it seems like something's clicked and it's probably something internal. And I don't know if there's what we, if on the outside looking in, we can actually point to what that is. But it just seems like they're a lot looser right now. Xavier, I don't know what you would say about that. <clears throat> yeah, definitely. I mean, if the Cardinals season started, you know, two weeks ago or one yeah. week ago, this would not be surprising at all to me in terms of how they're yeah. playing right now. I think this is how a lot of us expected them to start the season off. Um, like you mentioned, Sandy, they've won six of eight. That's a very good stretch of, you know, yeah. week and a half or so. Um, and I think one thing that may have brought this is kind of the London series. I know they were playing mm -hmm. all right baseball going into it. And then they did only split that series, of course, after pretty poor performance by Wainwright. But I think that was just a lot of fun. It got the guys sort of on national mm -hmm. TV. It gave them a lot of confidence playing out in England. And I think that might have kind of been a catalyst for some better baseball recently. Yeah, I think that's definitely something that we should be thinking about. And yeah, I mean, the sightseeing days seemed really fun beforehand. So you're right. It probably did uh, put the team with a better mindset, which is just nice to see because this team just felt so down on itself. It was kind of this thing where, you know, when it rains, it pours with the 2023 Cardinals. It yeah. felt like one error in the first inning could start a landslide that will result in yet another close loss. Uh, and it's been nice to see the team break through and win some close games, specifically yesterday's game. I thought that was mm -hmm. one of the most complete wins I've seen from them all year. Yep. And the offense didn't even really perform that well. We saw the team have a number of chances to break through. They hit Framber really hard. I was surprised he only gave up the four runs, uh, some of the exit velocities and some of those uh, hard hit balls that turned into outs. But yeah, I mean, everything looked really great yesterday. I'm hopeful, at least moving forward, that this can be a really strong stretch of baseball. And I guess what I also want to ask is, with everything you know starting to click, do you think the Cardinals could contend? Do you think they have a chance to get back into any of the races, specifically the divisional race? Uh, it's so hard to say, because I think no matter what, they have to go on or like 
they can't just be playing slightly above 500. They got to be winning 65% of their games probably all the way through to have a really good shot at it. So is it possible? Yes. But I also think it depends on how do the Cincinnati Reds play? How do the Milwaukee Brewers play? Brewers haven't been as good as of late. The Reds have obviously been red hot. Um, The Cubs have even been pretty good recently. So they were in this spot for a long time, like back in May and June where, or early June where the division was just continuously giving them opportunities yeah. to get back in it. It's not happening anymore. Yeah. And so I think a lot of it's dependent on if they can keep up a really high win pace. They'll have to win some of the most games out of all the rest of the teams in baseball, all the, yeah. the rest of the way to do it. And again, I think they have the talent to do it. It's just will they? And then they also need some help at the top of the division. So I wouldn't bank on it, but I, I think it's still too early to count them out because like if you look over the national league east the the mets are 16 games out right now like they're out of it and they're Mm -hmm. eight and a half out of the wild card behind like five or six teams that i would say are better than them you look at this division i think the cardinals are still the most talented team it's just again they've dug such deep of a so deep of a hole and you have teams kind of coming along now can they actually do it so can they yes will they (laughs) we'll see Right. And one thing I'll say, I mean, this team won 17 straight games with a roster that is worse than the roster that they have right now. And so with this Cardinals team, really anything can happen. One thing, though, if even if the Cardinals starting today won 17 games in a row, they would only be five games above 500 and not at all comfortable in this division still with teams like the Reds going on crazy runs like that. The Pirates are still young and have a shot at, you know, getting back up in the standings. And even if the Cardinals do, you know, miraculously make the playoffs, go on some crazy 2021-esque run, Mm. I don't see them as World Series contenders at all unless they make Mm. just some massive moves this trade deadline. And so I feel like that's the cycle that the Cardinals keep falling back into, barely squeak into the playoffs and then get crushed by a team like the Braves or the Dodgers or some of those NL elites. Yeah. yeah, that is that is so true. I love what both you said there. And I do think when I just look at the division really quickly again, I think the Cardinals are definitely the most talented team. I love what you said there, Josh, because I think the Reds have pitching problems. I'm not sure they're going to have the depth. Some of their young pitchers like Abbott have really overperformed thus far. Mm. And I mean, he's not going to have a, a one two ERA the rest of the way. That's just not going to happen. Um, and yeah. the Brewers, they don't look like they're going to hit enough to me. I, I think the Cubs might be both the most complete of those three teams, but also the least interesting of those three teams, definitely the least dynamic. And the pirates seem to be falling out of contention rapidly. So yeah, the Cardinals might be the most talented team, but you guys are so right. The hole they've dug is really deep because it's June. You know, I wish we were having this conversation in May and it felt like we were for a second before a second did. Um, But Xavier, you also brought up a really interesting point about the Cardinals, you know, sort of yearly cycle of barely get into the playoffs and then get crushed by a super team. Do you think that could come from the two magical runs that they had in 06 and 11, where it seems like, oh, let's make the playoffs. It's a lottery ticket type thing, uh, where now team construction feels so different with these, you know, super teams appearing that didn't really seem to be as much of a thing back then. Yeah, definitely. And I also think that the Cardinals identity as a team has just changed so much since then. You don't have those veteran guys. You don't have that leadership that I was talking about last time I was on. And I think that that is such a big factor of going on mm-hmm. one of those 2011 type runs. Yeah. And, you know, like you said, obviously the great teams are so much better now. So yeah. I think both of those just make that a lot less possible. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think you'd add in a little bit too, and I think this has been started to be noted, like they just haven't had a season this bad, like yeah. since the DeWitts owned the team. Mm-hmm. And since like Mosaic has been alive, like not been in charge of the card, like they haven't had a season this bad in a hundred years. And so when you're constantly in contention and you're constantly sneaking in, they I mean they made the uh the NLCS four times, I think, in the 2010s, which is if it's it's probably top three with the Dodgers and Braves. Yes. Like so, like they have reasons to say, hey, we've we've come very close and we've achieved the goal um within the last 12 years now. So um, but they haven't had a season where they bottom out like this. So I think mm-hmm. uh, in, in all honesty, a season like this might have been one of the best things to happen to the future of this organization because it has it makes them actually have to reassess for once instead of oh, we can make a few tweaks here and there, hope for a run like even a miracle run, like you said, Xavier, puts you five games above 500 right now. Like that is, that's not, that's not good enough anymore. And so yeah, I think it's a mixture of, yes, they've, they've had these magical runs before, but they've also never really bottomed out like this, especially with a team with expectations. Yeah. I mean, it just speaks to the the sheer level of disappointment in this season. You know, the yeah. Cardinals haven't finished last in, in a division. And I think like 120 some years is what I read. And like, it's a real possibility right now. I don't think it'll happen. I think we're more talented than the teams at the bottom of this division enough that the three games between the Cardinals and the Pirates shouldn't matter that much. I think there's probably a hundred game loser in the central. And I don't think it's the Cardinals, but at the same time, it's very shocking to see them just this bad. You know, you're absolutely right. But as we said, the last stretch has been a little bit encouraging. And I think a huge part of that, just to shift gears a little bit, has been Jordan Hicks. What does he mean to this team? Uh, I would love both you to chime in here. Yeah, Xavier, go ahead and hop in, man. Okay. Um, I mean, he's been great. That three-game win streak that they went on where Hicks closed out the ninth in each of those games, that was awesome. And I feel like the Cardinals, one of their, well, their lineup was obviously their strong suit, we thought, heading into the season. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of lived up to the expectations. But the bullpen, I think, has been one of the most disappointing parts of this team. The lineup you knew was going to be good, and it's been good enough. The starting pitching you knew was going to be pretty bad, and it has been. And the bullpen is one thing that you expected to be good. And it seems like I couldn't even remember before that run by Hicks the last time that the Cardinals bullpen pitched a seventh, eighth, and ninth scoreless. And Mm -hmm. so I think, I'm sure, you know, there were a few of those instances that I just missed. But I think that Hicks has provided a lot of great stability gave the Cardinals that confidence that if you're leading by maybe one or two runs going into the later portions of the game, that you're going to win that game and you're not going to have to worry about some crazy Giants-esque comeback. Yeah, that was the worst. I just could not believe my eyes. That was awful. Uh, There's been too many of those games this year where it's like, can it get worse than this? Oh, yeah, they found a way. They found a way. Um, Yeah, I, I mean, I was someone who... I started to buy into the DFA Jordan Hicks bandwagon for a hot minute yeah. there. And the fact that he turned it around the way he does or has is a miracle. It's been awesome. And it's like the dude with the, with the stuff he has, you would think he would be this good, but he had never really been able to figure it out. He's I think for his career averaged just above eight strikeouts in inning or per nine innings. And yeah. uh, he's up to 13 and a half over his last 14 games uh, over 14 over his last, um, sorry, 11 games. And so, he, he's just found the strikeout stuff now too, which has been great. Um, I, I think his, his role is it's the closer now. Like, I don't think you yeah. can take him away from that. I, I do think the Cardinals are 
pretty uh, nuanced in how they use their bullpen pieces where mm -hmm. I could see them pulling them out in the bottom of the seventh because there's a bases loaded situation and they want to get out of it. But I think for the most part, they're going to let him lock down the end of the games unless something happens and he falls off a little bit. Um, and Helsley, I think, believe or I saw he started throwing again today and they're projecting about three weeks out for him. So once you get him back, assuming the rehab process can remain healthy for him, like you have a really good trio at the back of the bullpen. So if they can start to make a push here, um, I think honestly adding one more bullpen arm at the deadline gives you a really good bullpen for the playoffs where you only need four or five innings from your starter and you can kind of patch together the rest of it with some elite arms. Or if they do decide they need to sell some things at the deadline, Hicks is going to be possibly the best reliever on the market. Uh, mm -hmm. Giovanni Gallegos has one of the best reliever contracts in all of baseball. So he's going to be valuable. And obviously Ryan Helsley's coming off a dominant season. So whichever way it plays right now, whether it's, they want to keep them for a run or they want to be able to um, capitalize on their value. The emergence of Hicks has been huge. Yeah. I think if they keep Hicks, obviously they're going for it. If you don't want to go for it, you have to deal Hicks. I, I referred to Hicks, Gallegos, and Helsley as a three-headed monster in the offseason and got a lot of hate for that early <laughs> in the season. And you're right. I, I, like you, jumped onto the DFA Hicks bandwagon for a couple of days after the Tigers blow up. It, it was just brutal. Yeah. I mean, how does this guy who had had the ability in the past at least to throw 105 and regularly sits 103 these days, how can his fastball be so hittable was a question we were all asking. And all of yeah. a sudden now it's not which is really nice. Mm. Um, but the Cardinals bullpen, as much as it feels like it's been bad, when you sort of dive into some of the analytics, it's just weird. The bullpen with a one-run lead or in a tied ball game is awful. But with mm. a more secure lead, the Cardinals bullpen is among the best in baseball. And so I think mm. that's what Jordan Hicks really brings to the table here. He brings someone who can perform in the big moments, which is something we just haven't done this whole year. Yeah. I usually chalk up like five games a season where it's one of those like, well, that was the worst thing ever, losses. I feel like you get about five of those per year. And the Cardinals had five of those within the first 50 games, which, I mean, it was like, yeah. it was Cleveland. It was it was San Francisco. It was the two Tigers games. You know, yeah. you figure you only get a couple of those a year and we used them all up so fast and then kept using more. Mm -hmm. So I think what Hicks really brings is someone who can actually perform in the clutch moment and the Cardinals bullpen will finally start to do what it's supposed to. Before he took over the role, they were 15 for 30 in save opportunities. Wow. Which is just, and, and from a bullpen that is top five in terms of FIP and XFIP. Yeah. To, to be that awful. Yeah. And then when you couple that with the middle, middle of the bull, like middle inning bullpen arms, like Stratton for mm -hmm. Hagen, they have their stretches where they're really good and they're due for a yeah. blow up every once in a while. And then you're not getting innings from your starters either. So it's all compounding. Like if you're only getting four or five, hopefully sometimes six innings from your rotation that puts more pressure on the middle relievers, which yep. puts more pressure on the back end of the bullpen. So if one of these three units, which the rotation and I would say the back end of the bullpen have been stabilizing uh, Hicks, especially been the rotation, like a Montgomery has been stabilizing a lot lately that, I mean, just has a effect on the rest of the pitching staff. And so, like you said, if Hicks can continue this for the next few weeks, it might have an adverse effect on a Stratton. It might have an adverse effect on the Gallego. So the rotation, <laughs> Right. And I think another thing about Hicks, just psychologically for the other team, if I'm down one or two runs heading into the ninth inning and I am a hitter and I, I'm obviously uh. no hitter, so they're <laughs> much better at hitting a hundred miles an hour than I will ever be. But just the idea of having to score a few runs in one inning consistently going up against triple digit fastballs is just terrifying. Yeah. And especially once he adds that control, which is kind of been one of his biggest issues so if he can keep that control there 
I mean, that's, that's gotta be terrifying for other teams. Mm. Totally agree. I think Hicks is absolutely massive to this club. And when Helsley comes back, I'll be really excited to see how Ollie sort of manages the back end of that pen. Um, I know a lot of Cardinals fans, you know, criticize Ollie all over the place. I think his management at the back of the pen since Hicks has emerged has been really good. Um, I was really, I loved the decision to throw Hicks for a third day in a row. I thought that was really bold. Um, and I'm glad Jordan Hicks seems to be the type of guy that wants the ball. That's yeah. something I think the Cardinals really need. It, it feels like all the time the Cardinals have players who are maybe hurt, but not injured and mm. and don't seem to want the big opportunity and seeing Hicks have that bulldog mentality is fantastic. Totally. And that's, a, that's been a problem that I, I think people pin on Ollie a lot. And I just, I don't know what he could do yeah. about it is that Helsley's kind of like you pitch him one day and then he kind of mm-hmm. needs a day or two to rest. Sometimes he can go two in a row and then yeah. he's out for three days. Gallegos is kind of like that. And what do you do when you're, when your top relievers yeah. can't go multiple days in a row? So I think you're right, Sandy. That's a, that's a very underrated part of Hicks run here is the fact that he can go, he can, he can close every game of a series for you. Now yeah. he can't do a four or five days in a row, but yeah. like if you have a big series against the Mets, you can put them out there every game and expect results. Mm -hmm. And I think that'll be especially big if the Cardinals again, miraculously make the playoffs, because like you mentioned, he could close out every game of a series in the playoffs. And especially in, you know, a wild card type matchup, that would just be massive. Totally. Oh yeah. We've, we've seen that firsthand. (laughs) Um, Shifting gears a little bit again, I've heard some rumors that O'Neill is back to baseball activities we're hoping to see him up with the big league club at some point before, maybe before the deadline, probably after uh, he said he hopes to be on a rehab assignment by next week. So O'Neill's a name that I've heard floated out in a lot of trade packages. And we'll get into this a little deeper near the end of the show. Um, but I just want to ask, does O'Neill have value right now? What's Tyler O'Neill's value? Yeah, it's, it's a hard one to gauge. Yeah. Um, but I do think it's higher than people would expect it to be. Um, I know for a fact the Brewers have called in on him before, at least expressed interest. Now, I don't see an interdivision trade, but I think the fact that Milwaukee is reaching out to St. Louis about him shows there's probably some other teams around the league that have some interest too. Um, it, it, but yeah, again, gauging what that is, if you're looking at a contender, maybe you can get a swap of major league ready talent, kind of like the Bader Montgomery situation. You're not going to get a Montgomery level pitcher, but maybe something like that. Or you look at a team, um, even, I mean, even a middling team, like the, the guardians that haven't, haven't really played that well this year, they could look at it as an opportunity to re, uh, to help their offense out for 2023, but really to have a, a buy low option going into 2024, hoping that in the contract year, he has another top 10 MVP type season. Yeah. And even if he doesn't output that, if you get elite defense in the outfield and you get 25 to 30 home runs, like that's a valuable player. Um, so I'm interested to see what happens with that. Um, especially if he can get to the field, I guess at this rate, it'd be like a week or two before the deadline. So it's not like he has that much time to show what he's got mm. going on. I will be interested to see what they do, though, when he's ready, if they do bring him back, because they'll either have to uh, option Burleson or DFA Mercado, which both of those moves would be kind of interesting because I would I would probably lean toward they would option Burleson so they can keep Mercado uh, because they would probably be trading O'Neill within the week. Um, but who knows, like with how much little time he has to turn around, they might not like the market and you might see O'Neill stay for the second half, which I think for, I've been someone who's kind of wrote off the idea that he'll be back, but the longer this process has taken, the more it seemed like he might actually have to stick around for the longer. Hmm. Yeah. And I definitely think the Cardinals would want him to at least play a few games before they ship him off. 
just to prove to those other teams that he's still got it. He's still got that potential to be, you know, a 30 home run kind of guy. And I also think it would be good to show that he isn't sort of a bad guy in the locker room. Mm-hmm. I think that his relationship with Ali Marmol has not really fully healed since that incident towards the beginning of the season. And I honestly sometimes forget that he's really part of this team. And I just, this isn't based on any information or anything, but he just doesn't feel like he's going to be a Cardinal for very much longer. Mm, yeah, that's wow. really tough. Cause I, I would say I'm an O'Neill truther. Like I've been an O'Neill fan for a long time and it's not cause I invested money in O'Neill Jersey recently. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I do like Tyler O'Neill and I want him to be a part of the future of the Cardinals. And it's really hard because, you know, he's someone I, I was getting more invested with the farm system when they traded for him. And I was really excited. Oh, another top hundred prospects type of thing. And it was nice to see him come up. And I love his tools. You know, he's got this power speed combo that we look for in superstars today. It's elite. And his value just is so low compared to what it was. Yeah. And I hate selling low on players. And I think the Cardinals front office does too, which is why the more I look at this, I think you might be right. He might be here after the trade deadline. And if that's the case, he's probably going to play. I think O'Neill will play if he's on the active roster. So yeah. the O'Neill situation is definitely something to monitor moving forward. I do think, especially we'll get into the, de- I know we'll get more deadline talk as we yeah. go, but if they end up moving like a Donovan, a Gorman, a new bar, like a Carlson, one of these higher valued assets yeah. for pitching, there's a role for O'Neill there. Yes. Um, Ed- if Edmund moves back to the infield, obviously they don't trust Jordan Walker in the outfield right now. So keeping him at DH, they'll have a third spot available. Um, or again, if they move one of those outfielders, there's space for him. So I could see them pull and especially with how deep this lineup is right now, even if they don't trust him, if he's your eighth or ninth option, that's a really good lineup. So I could see them being like, hey, let's see what happens the second half. We have mm-hmm. Burleson in our back pocket if we need. We can move Tommy Edmond around or Brendan Donovan around if he gets injured again. So I definitely think it's it's more le- it's more possible than people would give it credit for that he stays on the roster. But if I had to bet, I think there's probably a team that comes calling that wants him enough that they're willing to move on from him. But it really does depend on what they do with these other pieces. Absolutely. Well, I think we're going to move into sort of talking about the trade deadline here. So we're going to try to sort this from like very plausible to out there, right? So we'll save the Otani talk for the very end because I don't <laughs> think there's a chance in hell that happens. Um, but Andrew, it's it's the obligatory question and Andrew told me to ask it. Um, <clears throat> so I guess something we'll start with is, in your opinion, if the Cardinals decide not to full on sell, um, what pitching help is available? That is the most likely. Yeah, um, that's the tough part is what's the most likely because teams are all, I mean, as much as te- we look at the Cardinals and like we have to wait a few weeks to see what they're going to do, that's pretty much every team in baseball right now is like the Mets, Steve Cohen just held, held a press conference today and there's a chance Verlander and Scherzer are available. There's a chance they're buying. Like, we don't know because there's still time left. And so um, I think if I were to say like, what are the likely the likelier names available. I think you go to like a Lucas Giolito, a Lance Lynn type, like those rentals seem to always be available. Mm -hmm. If I think in the controllable arm standpoint, um, I know John Morrissey put a a link between the Mariners and the Cardinals. Yes, and I, I did want to talk about that. In a yeah, bit. which I would say is not likely, but I think makes a lot of sense. So we can get into that. But again, likely arms, I would look at Cleveland and Chicago. The White Sox is probably the two teams that can match up with the Cardinals. Um, 
it sounds like the Marcus Stroman situation is really fluid right now, but there's no way the Cubs and Cardinals make a trade on that. But then you look around the rest of baseball, I don't really see a team that's going to sell arms. Um, the Marlins is another team, but I just think they're so deep into contention right now. I I don't think they're going to give up arms. Um, so I would look at Cleveland and Chicago's arms, especially the rentals as one. Shane Bieber could be an option, but they still haven't really seemed committal on what they're going to go with that. So Xavier, I don't know if there's any other names you would throw out there. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that Chicago and Seattle are the two biggest teams there. Um, I think that Cleveland, you know, there's been a history of Cleveland trading their pitchers and then those pitchers just immediately are awful for, Mm. you know, whatever team they end up going to. And who's to say if that would happen with a guy like Shane Bieber? But I just overall think that it would be a mistake of the Cardinals to buy this trade deadline, especially if they're buying rentals. I think it would give the Cardinals fans a false sense of hope that they're going to somehow compete. And I think it would be much smarter of them to admit, clearly, this isn't our year to compete for a World Series, which is really what we're all after at the end of the day. And I think it would make a lot more sense if they sort of sell their guys who are expiring on expiring contracts and try to reset next year with a fresh sense of talent and some younger guys, maybe. And I think next year is really the year that they should be going for it. Yeah, I will counter that really quickly. Um, Mm -hmm. I agree. If the Cardinals are more than four or five games back in the Central, absolutely sell. But at the same time, we've seen the Cardinals make these low-profile moves, and 2021 always comes back to mind. And sure, we're not going to win 17 straight, but if the Cardinals are hanging around, which means probably improving on you know the, the division gap by three or four games over the next two weeks or so, if they're still hanging around by the deadline, maybe like someone like Rich Hill. Cause I mean that off season or that deadline, I believe they acquired Lester Hap and then they acquired LeBlanc in an earlier deal. And it was like mm-hmm. three pitchers that are all 40 years old, but those acquisitions, which cost us nothing for what it's worth. I mean, people are complaining about Lane Thomas. I don't want to hear that talk. Yeah, That's ridiculous. No. Um, those acquisitions actually, you know, found lightning in a bottle and it worked out really, really well. And so I think maybe if the Cardinals don't do much, I'm looking at some of the really old pitchers on the market like Rich Hill. And I think maybe he's a fit for the Cardinals. No, yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Even if, like, because I don't know how much we'll get into philosophy of the deadline. Yeah. If they, I think it's the way they're leaning right now is to be kind of selling and buying. Yes. And with buying to be on eyes of the future, like you said, Xavier, but selling on those pieces that aren't going to help them past 2023. But like the the ROI they can get on Jordan Montgomery or Jordan Hicks is pretty high, but what it will take to get a Rich Hill is pretty low. So I could see them going after a controllable arm, trading away Montgomery and Flaherty, and then replacing that the other arm. So they trade away two, they bring in a guy with control beyond yeah. this year, but then they bring in a Rich Hill to replace Indians the rest of the year because it costs them a low-level prospect. So they they could play and be creative there. That would look kind of like an Atlanta Braves offseat or a trade deadline from yeah. um, their World Series run mixed with the New York Yankees from 2016. So I, I we just haven't seen it before, which makes me question if it will happen. But the way Mosaic has openly talked about this, like I got an opportunity to talk to him in early June, and he was already talking about this idea of if we get to the deadline, we could look to bring in guys who are going to help us beyond this year. And he mentioned the names of impending free agents, Flaherty, Montgomery, Hicks. So I think they've they've got Michael Gersh and the rest of the front office looking at these different scenarios of can we 
like for example, trade Montgomery and Flaherty to contenders, bring in a Logan Gilbert from Seattle to replace one of them, bring in a Rich Hill, trade away a Jordan Hicks, but acquire a low-end reliever. Like they could make six, seven trades where four of them are selling, three of them are buying, and then see what happens. Yeah, and you know, I think a lot of us like to sort of insult John Mosellock's abilities to acquire pitching. And, you know, obviously he doesn't like spending money in the offseason, but I think one of his best traits is those sneaky little deadline acquisitions, especially of pitchers like you guys have mentioned. Um, Another one that I'll throw out there is Jose Quintana. I mean, he was arguably the Cardinals best pitcher down the run in that season. Um, And then also about Lane Thomas really quickly. I mean, we all know how crowded this Cardinals outfield is. I don't really think there's any chance Lane Thomas would have had more than, you know, 10 games started the season for the Cardinals, barring injury, of course. Um, And so I'm really excited to see what they do. I think you guys are both right. They have the potential to kind of do a bit of both um, and improve their stock in the future as well. Uh, Yeah, about the Lane Thomas stuff. I just I want to touch on that really quickly again. As, as someone who was a little bit of a Lane Thomas fan when he left, I don't know. I, I like Lane Thomas. I, I pointed out to people that the previous year, he'd been very good in a small sample size, but the wrist injury, which he was dealing with at mm. that point, knocked him out for the rest of that year. And then when he got traded, it just made a lot of sense. You know, he, he didn't have a place here. And so yeah. I hate to see people just jump on Mo because I think we've done that a lot lately. People act like they knew Zach Gallen was going to be an ace. No, you didn't. Zach Gallen wasn't even a top 10 prospect within our organization. Yeah. No one knew Zach Gallen was going to be this incredible. And I, I'm happy for him that he is. I'm happy for the Diamondbacks that they were able to acquire him. Um, but nobody knew that was going to happen. And I heard the same sort of stuff happening when Oviedo had a strong start to the season in Pittsburgh. It's like the Oviedo experiment was over in St. Louis. Yeah. It did not go well in the pandemic season. It was tough to watch. We all wanted Oviedo to succeed, but it was clear that as a Cardinal, that just wasn't going to happen. It was time for him to get a change of scenery. And I'm glad that his career has had a little bit of a resurgence in Pittsburgh. So I think the Lane Thomas stuff that's being talked about right now, the Adolis Garcia stuff, again, you don't know everyone passed on Garcia. The Texas Rangers DFA'd him after acquiring him for cash considerations the first time. We could have had him back. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, there are a lot of throwaway pieces from the Cardinals lately that have succeeded. And it's a shame when that happens, Mm -hmm. but that's not Mo's fault. Now, maybe some of the other moves like trading away Rosarena, that can have some criticism and that's fine. Yeah, I I totally I totally agree with that because the Rosarina one, like obviously when the uh, Rays are willing to give up a top 100 prospect, yeah, like Matt, Matthew Libertor, that means teams around the league valued Randy Rosarina. Yeah. Um, so like that one's one where you can give him more criticism, and like at the end of the day, it is their job to bet on the right talent. Yeah. So like there it's a give and take but like you said like people get mad about zach allen and it's like if they had instead traded alex reyes and carlos martinez instead of sandy gallant or sandy alcantara and zach gallon back then everyone would have been like what are they doing yeah so it's it's really interesting in retrospect or like again the lane thomas truthers where again like he was showing signs of potential but if you were to compare all the cardinals outfielders at the time you're not going to value him over tyler o'neill harrison bader dylan carlson mm-hmm. like there just wasn't really a place for him so i get and john lester helped them make the playoffs like exactly. the point about Ho- johan oviedo like jose quintana is a huge reason the cardinals yeah. made the playoffs last year and he gave them a chance he actually they should have won game one when he started yeah. so like it yeah. worked so uh, yeah i think people give mo a lot of crap for things that if you look at like 
the Dodgers gave up Jordan Alvarez for a random reliever that didn't yep. really do a lot of stuff for them. Like every organization has these misses. Yeah. Um, but over time it does add up. And when you're in a season like this, then everyone's going to notice these things as a lot more glaring holes. I don't really hear Dodgers fans talk about Jordan Alvarez very often, but when you're consistently winning, you don't really think about it. Yeah. That's true. I, I just hate when I see these teams like, oh, what the Cardinals could have been. And it's like Garcia, yeah. a Rosarena, Lane Thomas, <laughs> the outfield. like, oh, we could have had three all-stars. That's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm like, you're also forgetting they brought in Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado. Yeah. Like, I would much rather have those two than Randy yes. Rosarena and Dolores Garcia. But I mean, I'd love to have them all. Who wouldn't? Yeah. I still have no idea how Mosellock walked into the room with British and said, yeah, I'll give you this very uninteresting left-handed pitcher and a couple of prospects who probably won't make the majors for your, you know, franchise player. Yeah. <laughs> Unreal. And then demanded $50 million too. I hope when he retires from baseball, he writes a book and talks about it. Cause I just don't know how the Rockies didn't call the Dodgers yeah. or call the Yankees. And they're like, Hey, can you top this? And that they wouldn't have. So yeah. No one had to have wanted to play in St. Louis because I just don't know how that deal gets done. Absolutely. So moving forward a little bit into the realm of less possible, we brought up Goldenado, uh, the nickname fans have affectionately given to our first yeah. and third duo. Do you think there's a chance either of them gets moved? I'm really hoping that the answer is a strong no, but... Yeah, no, I don't see any scenario. Um, I just, even if it made sense, I don't think they'd do it. Like, I just, I don't think that's the organization they, they have. And with Mosella coming out so strongly saying that it's a no, uh, I don't think they're going to turn around on that. Barring, like, they lose every game between now and the deadline, and it looks like they they legitimately have to blow the whole thing up. Uh, sure, maybe it changes, or Nolan Arenado starts to view the Cardinals like the Rockies and starts to say, I want out, like... Those things could change things, but yeah, I would give it a less than 1% chance. Even that's pretty high in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, I would certainly be shocked if either of those two things happened, um, but it's something that's been brought up a lot. I saw an yeah. article recently um, written by some Cubs outlet that talked about acquiring Goldschmidt, and I almost laughed out loud. I couldn't believe it. What oh, we- I did laugh out loud. I was like, what are we doing? You've like, seen that one? Yeah. I'm like, what are we going to do? A Brewers one next week? Like, yeah. It whatever. was like, oh, if the Cardinals and Cubs could work together, they could <laughs> overcome the teams on the coast. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because, yeah, I'm sure that's what they're looking to do right now. I also just think, like, realistically speaking, like, what kind of package are you going to get from Paul Goldschmidt that's going to make it worth giving him up? Like, again, unless you're looking to get into a five-year rebuild, sure, like a top prospect. But I don't even know if a team gives up a top 20 prospect in baseball for him. Nolan Arenado, too, like, he's been great, but he's got a really big contract. And obviously, we saw what he went for when he went from the Rockies to the Cardinals. So maybe there's maybe he's not as highly valued around the league as we think he should be. So I just, I mean, I think people would be extremely underwhelmed. Like, I think of the Mookie Betts trade. Like, they got basically Alex Verdugo back for him. Like, most of these superstar trades yeah. don't really get the prospects back that you want. So I just think people would look back and be like, look at look at the random prospects that never even made the major leagues yeah. that they got back from Paul Goldschmidt. I'm like, that's why you don't trade a future hall of famer. Yeah. I I'm totally with you. I think these players don't grow on trees when one of them stumbles into your organization because a GM actually two GMs made really stupid decisions. Yep. You don't just deal those guys for no reason. And I, I just don't think there's a way that the Cardinals actually contend for a world series next year without both of those players anchoring their, their lineup in their infield. Exactly. I don't think it's possible. 
exactly and i know like national like if you look at like like mlb network it feels like does a segment on it every week about well if they blew up uh, and traded goldschmidt or Ronaldo, they'd have all this money to spend on pitching i'm like first of all they have money coming off the books already with wainwright yes. Dion, montgomery flaherty hicks and they have publicly stated that they have more money to spend right now so they have money to to spend and be creative um and i think a really good comp is you look at the texas rangers like yeah the Grom deal, they're not going to go do that. But they went after Evaldi. They went after John Gray. They got Martin Perez. Like they reshaped the rotation in a about eighteen month period, and look where it's got them. So yes. you can you can turn, and they have two highly paid players, Corey Seager, Marcus Simeon. So like there's ways to turn this roster around where you don't have to blow it up. Absolutely, I- I'm really hoping the Cardinals do spend some money in the off season on pitching. I think one of the players that's most interesting to me, and I haven't heard his name. Uh, bantied around much because you know he's uh, he's hurt right now. Is Frankie Montas for the Cardinals? Mm. I think he could be a great buy low candidate. Mm. I don't know how he signs a deal in excess of ten million dollars per year uh, in terms of AAV because he, he hasn't pitched at all this year. He yeah, active after being traded for last year, and people are going to be down on him because of the package the Yankees gave up to get him. And that was a pretty big package with Waldachuk. Um, and so I think he could be a great buy low candidate for the Cardinals. I also want to ask, there's going to be a couple aces that come into play in the offseason. Uh, Nola and Urias are the two most interesting to me. Are there any names that I either included or didn't include that you think we could go after? No, I uh, it, I think, again, kind of even like the deadline, it's going to depend on how things play out, how the markets play out. Like Nola has been up and down this year, so um, I'll be interested to see what his market even is this offseason. I still think he's going to get a mega deal, but is it out of the Cardinals price range or does he like play his way into their price range and are they comfortable going after him on a down year I do think he feels like the most likely out of the big names that are available I I really do think there's a Marcus Stroman potential possibility I think they kind of turned him off because of he was he had made some like little tweets and stuff about being interested in the Cardinals and they never even pursued him but I could see him if uh, extension doesn't work out the Cubs being like oh I'll hop over sides and so I think like a Stroman or uh, Aaron Nola seems I don't think Urias happens like he just doesn't seem like a Cardinal and the kind of deal he's going to get like off the field stuff and then the kind of deal he's going to get I I don't see it um And I do think it depends on what they do trade-wise too, because if they trade for some controllable arms, they can afford to go after a big name arm. Um, but they also may decide to like, let's trade for one of the Mariners guys. Let's get a Logan Gilbert. And then let's sign like two or three guys to those 12 to $17 million deals. And knowing one of them probably won't work out, but then you might strike gold with a Nathan Evaldi type who you you go into the season being like, oh, maybe he's an interesting three or four starter and he overplays his contract. And so there's different ways they could play it. I think a lot of it will depend on what they do at this deadline and how the season finishes though. Mm, Absolutely. Yeah, I think you're right. The Cardinals will probably deal a lot in that middle tier pitching section, which is fine because there are lots of fines in there to be had. Yeah. I think one that sticks out to me is Sonny Gray uh, recently. Yes. They're absolutely loving that acquisition. And that was a guy that I really liked when he was with Cincinnati. I thought he deserved way more attention there for how fantastic he was. Yeah. I think there'll be guys like that available for the Cardinals moving forward. Yeah. And I do think like names will pop up in the trade market too, because they don't have to do free agency to do it. They can get creative and like again like i think this is unlikely but if the mets are going to trade at this deadline max scherzer has another year of control like 
do they eat some of his contract and take back a Dylan Carlson and someone else like, because they want to go after Otani. So they're going to be clearing their books as much as possible. Like there, there'll be things like that. This deadline, there'll be inevitably some name that pops up this off season that none of us expected that would be available. Um, yeah. So I think there'll be a lot of options and the Cardinals can, can, can get creative with how they do it, especially if they do sell in some of their assets at this deadline, because they're just going to build their farm system up even more where now you have a lot of pieces to go after starting pitchers if you want. Mm. Yeah. I've heard a lot of stuff about um, the Cardinals have to spend aggressively in free agency. It seems like some people believe that. I don't think that's true. We see the two teams that have spent most aggressively having awful seasons. Yeah, The Mets have to be, I mean, they're a much bigger disappointment than even the Cardinals right now. You look at the highest payroll in the league, they're out of it. There's probably no way they make the playoffs at this point. I think the Padres are falling into a similar boat. They're in fourth place in their division. I don't see them overcoming the Giants, Diamondbacks, and Dodgers. And the wild card doesn't look particularly inviting to them either with some of these teams ahead of them. And it, it just looks like, you know, maybe spending big in free agency isn't the way to move forward. A lot of these disappointing contracts between Correa, Turner, that whole shortstop crop, Bogarts too, has been really disappointing. And so I, I would love to see the Cardinals adopt one of those strategies that looks more like the Braves, where you develop your young talent, control it early on. That's something that the Cardinals tried with the young. It worked or didn't work, depending on how you want to look at it. Um, but I think they could continue to do that, acquire talent through trades, which is what Atlanta has done in the past. So I'm really hoping to see the Cardinals adopt one of those strategies. Obviously, you need to spend a little bit to augment that. Yeah. But I don't think they have to spend aggressively. Yeah, it's about how you spend your money. And yeah. like, because you look at the Tampa Bay Rays, like they're never mm-hmm. the biggest spenders, but they're always contending. So, but it helps when you can also spend more money. So I think that's something I really appreciated about Ken Rosenthal's piece that he wrote this week is that he did kind of come out and was very critical that they don't yeah. spend money. But mm-hmm. his the point I think that was even stronger was when they spend money, they don't spend it well. So that's the problem you run into. If you're the Mets, you can give $40 million out, but if you give it out to Jake, Justin Verlander and he doesn't play for you. That's one thing. If you give that to Shohei Otani and he dominates the league, that's another thing. So yeah, yeah, I do think there's like, it's a both and they need to increase their payroll being 16th in baseball. Doesn't make sense. You have the money to spend, but they need to start spending it better. And obviously if they do that, then we're not talking about them, them the way we are right now. For sure. And, and I think to the people that really want the Cardinals to spend aggressively, you have to look at the recent payroll act or payroll upgrades they've done, you know, the, the guys they've brought in very few of those free agent acquisitions have actually worked out. Yeah. The worst contract I can think of is probably the leak deal. And the Cardinals miraculously got out from under that. Thank goodness. Yeah. Because that looked like a disaster in year one. Yeah. But you know, Hayward, um, not Hayward Fowler didn't work out for the Cardinals leak. Didn't work out for the Cardinals. These big bullpen acquisitions that they made everyone from Brett Cecil to Greg <laughs> Holland to Luke Gregerson. None of these worked out. The Cardinals just haven't had success when they've delved into free agency. And so personally, I don't see a need for them to go, especially handing out a mega deal. Like I was more than happy to see the Cardinals sit out from the Rodon market this off season because he hasn't pitched yet. And I don't know if I'd want to see that for the Cardinals. Yeah. And I also think too, like it kind of goes back to how they like, again, like where they're spending their money because they're like, when you look at a Nathan Avaldi contract, he got a two-year deal. They're yeah. giving Mike Leak five years. They're giving yeah. Steven Matz four years. They're giving Dexter Fowler five years. Like they're going after these mid-tier free agents. They're giving them 
not quite top dollar. So they're trying to skim off a little bit, but they're still giving them long-term deals. Like I feel like they're playing in the worst market possible when you're paying guys that are probably past their prime and all of them have ended up being past their prime. You're still paying them big money and then you're giving them long-term deals where after two years, you're already kind of like, we want out, but you're, you're stuck. So I, I think there's an argument for spending higher because like, I don't believe Trey Turner is going to be bad all the time. I don't believe that. Like, I think when Rodon's back, he'll probably pitch well. Will he be injured a lot? Who knows? But so there is an argument to still spend that high, but you also can't do that when you keep giving out Steven Matz's contract, um, a Fowler contract, all these kind of contracts, they add up over time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you make a great point. The Cardinals are definitely playing in the worst market. I can't think of a a deal to a pitcher who's kind of a mid-rotation arm where you give them more than 10 million a year for a period of four to six years that's worked out. You know, yeah. I mean, Matt's comes to mind, but other guys like, for example, Tyone, that deal is terrible. That looks yeah. off for the Cubs right now. He's been almost unplayable and he started 13 games for him already this season. So he's yeah. got, they're going to probably deal with it for the next couple of years. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. Um, that's the worst market to play. In. And, and in terms of the position plays, players we've acquired, hasn't looked great either. So yeah, I think if you're the Cardinals, you need to either spend like you mean it and go for that top talent because you're right. Carlos Correa is going to be better. Trey Turner is going to be better. Those are good players. Um, but there's no guarantee that a guy like Steven Matz is going to be better, especially with his age. I hate to see the yeah. Cardinals acquiring these guys into their thirties already. Yeah. And it's just tough. Cause it's like, when you get a Steven Matz, what do you think is the best case scenario from him? It's a three starter. Well, you're paying that guy a lot of money. What's the worst case scenario? He's unplayable. Like even with Carlos Correa, Trey Turner, it's like, they're still, they can, you can feel them out there. You're frustrated. You're paying them as much as you are for what they're, for what they're producing. But, and then to your point too, like if you're going after like some of the guys in free agency are looking for bounce back deals or looking to get a one-year deal so that they can cash in again the next year on a Sony Gray or a Nathan Avaldi or Marcus Stroman, like those guys, then if it doesn't work out, you're not latched them for five years. So yeah. again, it's just, it's just how they spend their money, which is, I think, I think they've started to learn their lesson. And then if they're patient here too, and they do a couple of these short-term patchwork deals, then you do start to have a Cooper Jerby, a Tink Hens, a Goran Graceffo. You've got arms coming. So I think they just got to figure out a way to make the rest of 2023 work if they want to contend. And then 2024 into 2025, they got to find a way to patch it together. Yeah, you just mentioned some of the arms uh, in the Cardinals minor league system. I think this is the deepest our lower levels have looked in a long time. Yes, it's very encouraging. Some of the signs from down there. I think Cooper Jerpy was a, a, a you know a home run for where they got him in the draft. They got him really late, and boy, he looks like he's going to be really good. Tink Hens, oh, yeah. obviously, you can't say enough about how fantastic he's been in his brief career so far. And then even some of those other names, Pete Hansen, Michael McGreevy, uh, Max Ratchick. I, I don't really know how to pronounce that. I might be wrong. <laughs> yeah, you're good. Uh, but those guys have been fantastic this year. And so I think the Cardinals minor league system looks like we're actually developing pitching again. Uh, which they took a hiatus there for a little bit, which was a shame because we really could use some homegrown pitching right now. Yeah. Um, but that's really encouraging. It looks like you're you're not going to have to do as much in the future once these guys start to come along. 
Yeah, which it was kind of a worry of mine going into, I'd say, midway last year is that they seemed to be a little too top heavy organizationally wise, where they had Jordan Walker, Mason Wynn, Gordon Graceffo, and 18 Kents is lower in the levels. But then everyone else, it's like, okay, like once you get past their top four guys, it's a pretty weak system. But you look like Ivan Herrera is their sixth ranked prospect right now, and he's destroying AAA. Yeah, he looks awesome. Um, Jonathan Mejia, I think he's going to be real, like, he has the potential to be really good. Like I, I don't think he's as exciting as Mason Wynn, but I think he potentially has a higher, well, he definitely has a higher ceiling as a hitter, yeah. which I think is really exciting. A Leonardo Bernal, Joshua oh, Baez, him. like there's yeah. just a lot of names down here. And then they have a draft coming up in a few weeks where they can add to it. If they do sell at the deadline, they can add to it. So I do think that's a, that's a really exciting thing for Cardinal fans because Randy Flores, ever since he's taken over, this system has just turned out players yeah. constantly. Yeah, Flores is a wizard. He, he's probably one of the best in terms of finding position player talent. Yeah. And we've seen him turn his focus to pitching, and the early returns are great. Yes. Um, that 2020 draft, you might see they, they acquired six players in the draft, I believe, five rounds plus the competitive balance mm-hmm. round with Burleson. Um, four of those guys turn into very, very strong prospects very fast. Bedell's healthy now and looks really good too. You might see five guys from that draft make the major someday. Yeah. That's an incredible hit rate. Exactly. Because I think people like, I I mean, I wish I knew the draft off the top of my head, but I saw on Twitter the other day, the first 20 picks, I don't think any of them have had a like a significant major league career. I think it might have been like 2016 or something. And you just look and you're like, what are these names on here? So just even hitting in the first round is nearly impossible at times. But to have a draft class like the Cardinals had in 2020, like I think people like 10 years from now are going to be writing about that draft class as one of the best jobs someone's ever done. Now, it depends on how people turn out. If Mason Wynn can't hit the major league level, like that story changes. Um, but this right now looks like a very strong draft class. And then 2021 was followed up pretty well. 2022 looks pretty good so far. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, absolutely. Going all the way back to, to Gorman, you know, the Cardinals have just hit in the first round consistently and that's something you have to be able to do. Yeah. Um, so I guess just a little bit more here. Um, I, I would love to ask some of the more out there possibilities for this team moving forward. Yeah. We briefly mentioned Seattle. They've got some really incredible interesting young pitching there between Kirby Gilbert. And then I, I believe it's um, Bryce Miller is the guy. Yeah, that Bryce did, Miller. Right? Mm-hmm. He looks like he could be really good. So do you see any way that Seattle could match up with St. Louis uh, sort of a hitting for pitching type deal? Oh yes. I, so even before Morrissey had said that um, someone on Twitter had asked me, what are some teams that you can look at uh, for pitching? And I was looking at the Mariners and I was like, they're underperforming quite a bit. They have a ton of pitching they need offense. It just seems like it makes sense. Then Morrissey comes out with that. And I'm like, there is something there. And then yeah. you even look at their farm system too, like a Brian Wu, the third uh, ranked it's prospect. Yep. It just came up. Emerson Hancock is he, yeah. I think he's fallen off a little bit yes. because of some injuries and stuff, but he's another exciting arm. They have a ton of arms. Now here's what I think people don't want to hear. You're not going to just be able to give up Alec Burleson yeah. and Tommy Edmond and get George Kirby. Like, Correct. I think it's pro like even Logan Gilbert, I think might cost you Nolan Gorman or Lars Newbar. Like it's just, and I, I don't know what they're going to do about it. Like at some point you have to make these uncomfortable decisions. I wouldn't like if, if I was ranking Newbar, Gorman, Brendan Donovan and Edmund, I think Newbar is my guy that I'm like, I don't want to give up because it yeah. just seems like when he's in the, when in the lineup, things go well. 
but like you trade away Nolan Gorman, you might be trading away a future home run leader. Like that's the risk you have to take when you don't have pitching. If you want to go acquire young pitching and yeah, George Kirby could blow out his elbow. Like that's the risk you run. Um, But the Mariners aren't looking like if we're a Mariners podcast, none of them are like, man, I would love to give up George Kirby for Juan Yepes. Like that's just not how deals work. And yeah. so I think that's something that fans are going to have to get kind of used to with this. But mm-hmm. I do think there is, I, I wouldn't say like, if you ask me, will it happen? I, I'm not going to say yes, but I think it makes too much sense for them not to make a deal. Um, like I just, I, yeah, there's, they have a huge hole, a second base. They could use another outfielder in the Mariners. Yeah. Obviously the Cardinals need pitching. I would love a George Kirby, um, Bryce Miller, Logan Gilbert. And even if they just, like traded Brendan Donovan and got back a a woo um, or a Hancock and some kind of something like that. I think that's, that's worth the risk. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to see the Cardinals package together. Some of those pieces, obviously you want to hold on to Gorman if you can, but if he's what it takes to acquire pitching, you look at the team, the offense is good, has a lot of depth. The pitching doesn't deal from your place of wealth, even when it's uncomfortable. Yeah. That's something Cardinals fans are really bad at. I see some of the trade proposals people put together and it's like, why would they take this? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's funny because now people get mad at like other fan bases for wanting Jordan Walker for their like random scraps. I'm like, what have Cardinal fans done the last five years? Like they're like, give us Garrett Cole for Paul Dion and a pack of gum like that doesn't (laughs) it doesn't work like that. Um, I do. And I do think you make a good point, though, too, like giving up Gorman would be so hard, but when you have Brendan Donovan and Tommy Edmond and Mason Wynn, that makes it a lot easier. Um, Same with, even if it came to, I don't think they trade Lars and Ubar, but even if it came to it, you still have Jordan Walker, Dylan Carlson, Tommy Edmond. Like they have the maneuverability of their pieces right now makes it easier where if a team really wants Nolan Gorman and that's the guy they value, you can actually give him up for something yeah. significant because you have that depth built out. So that that is the strength of the drafting philosophy of going after hitters last few years is now you just have so many guys who can come up, you can afford to make that top end trade. Absolutely. Uh would you consider Jordan Walker to be untouchable in all of these talks though? I, yeah. I think so. Yeah. There's no way. I just don't see it. I mean, yeah. Mosaic said it himself before um like if Otani's available and he's willing to sign an extension, like I think they give up Jordan Walker for Shohei Otani. Like if uh, Shane McClanahan or Ronald Acuna Jr. is available, sure, no one's untouchable. But like in terms of what actually would happen, I just don't see a scenario where Jordan Walker is on the table. Yeah, I mean, it's rare that you see the Cardinals as organizationally so transparent about how much they believe in a prospect. Some of the stuff you hear about Jordan Walker, you just yeah. don't hear that about guys very often. Nope. It's stuff that I didn't hear about Reyes, who is an immensely talented player. Yeah. And so it's very encouraging about Jordan Walker's future potential, obviously, but also the Cardinals just value him more highly than I've ever seen them value a player. Obviously, I wasn't you know around for the early Albert Pujols days, but mm. yeah, I, I personally think he's probably untouchable as well. Yeah. Well, um, I guess we'll get into the very last bit here. The Otani question, which is <laughs> obligatory. <laughs> I I just don't see a way, especially with the Angels contending right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Have you got anyone ever say yes to that question? <laughs> We've had people promise to like buy us things if it happens. You know, <laughs> people Maybe promise I'll... an Otani party. 
<laughs> Maybe I'll join the club. I I think for like half a second during the WBC, I was like, huh, the new Barotani yeah. thing. That could yeah. be interesting. And I'm like, huh, if there was ever a guy they'd be willing to spend big money on. Uh, but yeah, I don't see it. I just I don't think they're gonna trade him at the deadline, first of all. And even if they did, like the package it would take to get him, yeah, I don't see it happening. Um, and then like I just I think he's a Dodger. Like I would be shocked if he's not a Dodger. And if he's not, like you're like convincing me the Cardinals outbid the Mets and the Yankees and the Padres yep. and the Giants and the Mariners. I just don't see it. I'd love it though. It'd be so cool to have Otani be a Cardinal. Yeah, that's that's pretty much whenever Andrew brings it up, I say we're not gonna outbid these teams. <laughs> um, but I think but, if the Cardinals traded for Otani, I'd probably be upset because I don't want to pay for him twice. And that's the way yes. I see trade working for him right now. If you trade for Otani, his fair value is your four best prospects. Yeah. Like the Angels probably call and they say, give us Jordan Walker, give us Mason Wynn, give us Tink Hens, and give us a, a major league player like Dylan Carlson who contributes right now. We want all of those guys. Yep. And then, oh, by the way, if you're going to keep him for more than 60 games, which isn't a guarantee, you have to now pay him $600 million. Yep. I That's exactly right. Like, I just don't see why that would make sense for any team. I think a good comp yep. for if somehow Otani got dealt at this deadline would be the Trey Turner, Max Scherzer trade because they got a superstar position player and a superstar pitcher in the same trade. Yeah. So it's like, okay, that's what you're doing when you trade away Otani. So I would say like they gave away Kirby Ruiz, Josiah Gray, who are both top 50 prospects in all of baseball yeah. and then two other prospects as well. I think you give up more than that because Otani has that name value and he's yeah. playing like an MVP again. So I, yeah, I just don't see how the Cardinals do that. But, but then, I mean, even look at this farm system. Like I think Jordan Walker is the hype but i think yeah. there are some times where i think like mason win people might need to temper their expectations a little yeah. bit with him um I, I think he could be a really good shortstop but like people thinking he's going to be francisco lindor when he comes up that's and even like in his career that's probably not happening yeah. tink i think the only two guys in the system i think have true superstar potential was jordan walker and now tink hence uh, Cooper Jerpy, I think, could be a really, really good player. And I think Mason Wynn yeah. could be a really good, really good player, but I don't see them being like transcendent stars. I think Tink Hence, if he can get those innings done, I think he's oh, got yeah. the potential of being that kind of guy. Um, so I think that's another thing when you look at prospects, is we all want to believe all of their guys are going to be yeah. top guys, but that's just usually not how it works. I agree with that. I think at the very low levels, the Cardinals have some guys you can dream on as well. I think Leonardo Bernal comes to mind. I'm really high on him. I think he could rise through lists and very quickly be regarded as one of the better catchers in all of minor league baseball. Um, but you're right. Those, those are the two guys who right now actually have that potential and could be transcendent stars. So yeah. I'd be shocked if the Cardinals parted with either of them. Um, yeah, the Mason Wynn chatter is nice. He's got some really fun tools. Um, but there's, there's every chance that he ends up more like a Manny Margot who we say, wow, that guy's really toolsy. He could rack up a lot of war for you. But at the same time, no one was going to pretend like Manny Margot was a star, even when he yeah. was putting up five war seasons. Totally. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for us today. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, it was a ton of fun to get to talk and then sort of, you know, enjoy talking about prospects at the end with someone else who follows that closely. Um, yeah. we hope to have you on again soon. And yeah, go cards. Really excited about the stretch of games coming up. Yeah. Thanks, Sandy. I really appreciate it. Love the work you guys do. Anytime, let me know. I'd love to pop on again. So 
Awesome. Thank you very much. Have a good day. You too, Sandy.